As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone, passion for excellence. Chevrolet, the all-new Chevrolet Cruze, get used to more. And by Hyundai, experience the 2011 Hyundai Sonata today at HyundaiSonata.com. This is Auto Line After Hours with John McElroy, episode 105 for June 2nd, 2011, From Subaru to Saab. Watch Autoline After Hours live at AutolineDetroit.tv every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time or 2300 hours GMT. You can subscribe to this podcast for free by searching for Autoline After Hours in the iTunes Store. Thanks for joining us, everybody, here. It's Thursday night, and I'm joined again by Mr. Lorenzo, the auto extremist. John, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Mr. Auto Extremist. Just recovering from a magnificent uh, Indy 500. And we got to talk about that in a moment. But uh, also joining us later in the show, we'll have Tim Kolbeck, the COO for Saab in the U.S. A lot of good things to talk about there, I hope. But, uh, yeah, let's get back to Indy. You were there. I was there, yes. Actually, I was in the lead, one of the lead Camaro in, uh, on the grid and for the flying parade lap. In one of the pace cars. Yeah, which was, uh, it was a spur of the moment opportunity presented to me by some old friends from Chevrolet. And I got to tell you, that was spectacular. You know, I've been on the track, and I've been in a pace car on the track, But you were on one of the parade laps with the whole crowd there and the crowd getting electrified. Yeah, and every every time I've talked to a driver or read what drivers say, so we pound around there in practice, and there's not many people there. We pound around in qualifying, there's a few people there, but nothing prepares you for the 300,000-plus that are there on race day. And I, I'll tell you, we... You know, they, Mary Holm and George said, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. And those engines fired up, and we got strapped in the Camaro, and we took off. And the noise from the crowd in turn one drowned out everything. You couldn't hear. If and those you, are ear-splitting engines. Yeah, so. you couldn't hear a race engine. It was just the noise from the crowd was absolutely amazing. And then when we, when we came around into th- turn three, the noise came up again. And I'll tell you, when you turn into four and see that main grandstand, and all the drivers say, that turn one looks this big. Yeah, It dainty. looked that big because the crowd and the people had just compressed it down, and you couldn't hear a thing. I mean, the crowd just drowned out the racing engines. It's the most amazing thing I've ever done. It was spectacular. Then we peeled off, and then the real pace lap started, but that was something else. And it was a great race, actually. It was actually a great race. I, I agree totally. And, you know, I actually like watching races on television more more than going to them because it can often be very difficult to figure out what's going on. Except when the coverage sucks. Except when the coverage sucks, and man, did it suck. I mean, I almost blew my brains out. They dumb it down so much. Well, that's ABC. ABC does that, and I'm telling you, nothing would make me happier than if they yanked that away from ABC. I'm with you. I mean, there are lots of rumblings about another network just chomping at the bit to grab any car. I hope it happens. I mean, if... If this was football coverage, 
they would be saying, okay, folks, now they scored a touchdown, and now they're going to line up, and they're going to kick an extra point. Because when you score a touchdown, you line up and you kick an extra point, yeah. because that's what, I mean, that's the level that they have dumbed it down to and in terms of their coverage. That's unacceptable. And, I, and I've, I've been in those production meetings. I've, I've heard these producers say, well, you know, we've got a broader audience. We've got a, and, and no, you don't. But, Peter, I've been listening to this for decades, yeah, and they've dumbed it down for decades. You know, when, does, when do people learn and I, I think this is half the reason why people don't like motor racing, because you're not getting good analysis, w- telling people to watch out for what's going on in the race. It's just this blah, 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 blah stuff that they're trying to hype things that are go- are not going on. It, it was awful. I mean, even the people who watch one race a year, the Indy 500, usually know enough by now what's going on. You do, it just doesn't have to be dumbed down to that extent. You know, what I've done in the past, too, is turn off the sound on the television and turn on the radio, because the radio guys do a much better job. Guess what? You can't get the Indy 500 in the Detroit market on the radio. did not exist. I, I don't know when that happened, but I, I was astonished that the race was not on the radio. Probably during the split. Probably went away. At that Must point. have been that long ago. But, you know, how about that race? Uh, you know, I expected Will Power to be there at the end and the uncharacteristic, you know, snafu in the pits. So his day was done. And the Ryan came off the car. They didn't yeah. get it tied down right. Yeah. Ryan Briscoe got taken out uh, by Ryan Hunter Ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elio just never. Elio was never in the game. And Ganassi, God, again, outsmarting themselves with this fuel economy stuff. Stop it. Come in, put four tires on the car, fill fill the car up, and say, hey, we got two of the best drivers in the world in Indy cars. Go figure it out. You've got plenty of fuel, and just go do it. No, they're doing this. They bring Dario. As soon as they brought Dario in, I said, oh, no. Because they're saying, oh, well, there's always cautions in the last 25 laps. Guess what? There wasn't. Right. So, you know, I felt bad for Dario and Scott Dixon. but Well, they blew it. Ganassi's team blew it big time in qualifying. They ran out of gas during you qualifying. They learned that. Right. And then in the race, they, their Do strategy. Yeah, and it's right. like, really? You know, you guys need to sit down. And stop doing that. Cause, right. And how about J.R. Hildebrand? He was right there all during the race. Of course, I, in the ABC coverage, you never heard about Hildebrand at all. I, I swear to God, it wasn't until turn three of the last lap they went, hey, Hildebrand's in lead. <laughs> and I mean, again, they, they should have been tracking. And look, you had Scott uh, Goodyear in the booth, and you had, uh, who was the other guy? Wally Dollenbach, I think. These guys are racers. They know this stuff. So they should have been tracking, and I'm sure they had people that could have tracked it. Who pitted when? When did they take stuff? And they could have told us 10 laps, 15 laps earlier. Hey, the only ones who can get to the end right now are going to be Scott Weldon. It's going to be J.R. Hildebrand. It's gonna, here's, the, here's the cars you should be watching. And so... As a television viewer, if you don't follow racing a whole lot, all of a sudden this kid comes out of nowhere, and then he crashes, and then Weldon wins, and it's like, what went on here? Yeah, well, Bertrand Baguette ran very well. Right. Uh, Danica led for a while, but her field strategy was off. But J.R. Hildebrand and Dan, Dan Weldon were right there the whole race. They were in the top ten. They were in the top five. You know, I kind of expected Weldon would do well. It was a one-off effort with Brian Herta. I mean, I felt for J.R. Hildebrand. What a story. I mean, this kid, we will hear from him again. Yeah, well, he'll never live this, let this down. The, the rest of his life he'll think about. Well, yeah. It only slowed down a little bit. There's only one way to fix that. Yeah, come we'll, back and win it. We'll win it, yeah. And, you know, it turned for it, Indy, at the end of the race. Uh, it might be two grooves at the beginning of the race. At the end of the race, it's about one and a half, one and a quarter. And he just, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, it was a rookie mis- mistake. And even he himself said, I guess yeah, this no. is why rookies don't I mean, win this I mean, this is a off. guy who turned down an opportunity to, he was accepted in MIT. He's a very bright kid. Oh, really? Oh, I yeah, didn't yeah. know that. Huh. So we will hear a lot from him. He drove a great race. Felt bad for him. On, on the flip side, Brian Hurd has been around this sport a long time and uh, was a driver. And they put this deal the last minute with Dan Weldon, a one-race deal. What a story, you know. And that's pan- Panther Racing, is that right? Or um, Well, anyway, no. th- that team has come in second three years in a row now, which is astonishing. So it was just fabulous. It was just uh, great for Weldon. Heartbreaking for uh, 
J.R. Hildebrand, but he'll he'll be back. You know, the only race coverage I like anymore is uh, the guys that Speed have on for F1. They're about the only ones who don't dumb it down. Even the NASCAR stuff, uh, well, it's hit know, and miss. It's hit and miss. I mean, when the NASCAR guys are on the commentators, it's good. Um, I mean, really, they don't they don't dumb it down as much, you know, mm-hmm. because they don't have to. I mean, the, the people watching NASCAR are really into it, and they're mm-hmm. hardcore viewers, but... I, I agree with you. The Formula One coverage is is good, but you know it's too bad. ABC has done that, but you know they do that in other big events too. Hmm. You know I've noticed that Olympics. Well, they don't have the Olympics no. anymore, but the Olympics get dumbed down a lot too. But yeah, I mean, uh, I think motor racing would would improve a lot if you had as sophisticated, if that's the right word, a coverage as you would expect to hear in a football or baseball or basketball game. I agree. I agree. I mean, one nice thing about uh, Indy pre-race, they had thousands of military personnel there. I mean thousands. And at one point, they had pickup trucks, as far as you can see, that came around the track and then came down pit lane before the race, and they were filled with military people. And the crowd uh, stood and clapped the entire time. It was great. That's good. Yeah. Well, and it's course, Memorial Day. It's all, it's very And the B-2 bomber, that was worth the trip. Just <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so. That is such a cool-looking plane. I'm sorry, but, you know, it just looks cool. And, you know, the fact that it came from Northrop and the fact that old man Northrop had that concept for that flying wing, at the end of World War II, and it actually flew. And there's a documentary that compares the two. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's fascinating. People should look it up on the Internet, huh. the original Northrop flying wing. Well, they didn't have the electronic controls that make something like no, that possible. No, it was an eight-engine thing, yeah, and it was, right. it was cool, though. Yeah, it was cool. So, so hey, why, why don't we uh, We'll get into a whole bunch of other stuff, but why don't we take our first... Uh, sponsor break right now, and uh, we really want to thank our sponsor, Bridgestone. Bridgestone is featuring its third generation of run-flat tires with groundbreaking new technology. Current run-flat tires can offer peace of mind for consumers, but the added mass and the stiffer sidewalls can compromise ride comfort and fuel efficiency. The new third-generation Bridgestone run-flat tires reduce heat and improve performance and ride comfort. Whether you're a program manager in the industry or just looking for a set for your personal car, check it out at BridgestoneTire.com. Hey, I uh, attended an interesting press conference today uh, that Ford held. Uh, where they officially announced they're coming out. I I guess they had announced it before, but we learned a little bit more about this one-liter, three-cylinder engine that they're coming out with. Well, they showed it in China in that beautiful little Freeman Thomas concept, which I love. Ford Star, I think is? Start? No, it's not Star. But it's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a beautiful little car. And, you know... When you see the concepts and they say, oh, it's going to have a one-liter, three-cylinder engine, you know, I knew then that they were serious about that. So it's it's cool that they're doing that. Well, you know, they're not giving out a whole lot of details on it. They would not announce power, fuel economy, yada, da, da, da. But uh, they did say that it should have the same perform- or same power output as a 1.6-liter naturally aspirated engine. So about 120 horsepower. Which is what's in the Fiesta, right. So 120 horsepower, about 112 foot-pounds of torque. And then Ford all along has said EcoBoost should improve fuel economy roughly 20%. So I ran and ran the numbers on uh, the Ford Fiesta, and that would be something like, uh, if I remember right, 35 city, 48 highway miles per gallon, so a combined in the one liter car in the one liter car because I get it combined in my Fiesta and I'm not um, an easy. <laughs> You're not going for max fuel economy. I mean, I get regularly thirty six and a half, thirty seven per tank in my Fiesta. Mm-hmm. Com- that's combined. Wow. Well, this would get I would say probably forty combined then. Well, that's that's good. So. I find this interesting. You know, Fiat's got a two-cylinder engine in Europe only right now that's in the Fiat 500, but I'm intrigued by this move to uh, 
three-cylinder on the part of Ford Motor Company. I would have never expected something like that. Well, and, and clearly that's a global engine. Clearly. So they don't do anything unless it's global anymore. Right. Under the mantra of Al Mulally. So, that's, yeah, that's huge news. And the other thing that was interesting is, uh, you know, they announced they're going six-speed automatics or six-speed manuals across the board. And they're also coming out with an eight-speed. An in-house in-house, and that's what I was getting to, right. Very interesting. Designed, developed, manufactured, all in-house. And again, they're very coy with what's going where, but I think it may be possible that three-cylinder is going to be mated to an eight-speed automatic. I don't know, because they talked about how they can downsize engines by going with that transmission. And then the other thing they announced is... uh, the CVTs that they use in their hybrids, they're pulling that in-house as well. They have been buying it from Ison, which also sells to Toyota. In fact, it's part of Toyota Group. But uh, I just find this very interesting, all this move to start insourcing critical componentry. I think it's smart, actually. It is. And then the other thing that we you know, just got yesterday were sales for May. And to me, one of the staggering numbers that came out of it is that uh, for the Ford F-150, f- over 40%, 41% of all those sales were EcoBoost pickups, V6 twin-turbo pickups. And, uh, you know, even though sales of the F-150 were down, they were way above the Chevy Silverado. I mean, the, the gap widened. Well, that, there's, obviously the fuel prices uh, have a lot to it, but that's also a credit to Ford's dealer network. They've got some of the best dealers in the country, and they've got particularly the best truck dealers. And that's people, that's salespeople getting the, these consumers, skeptical consumers, in these F-150s. Because if you get in one, and you have a pickup for light, you know, light duty use. I mean, there's, it's great. And once they do that, and if they say, well, that's a substantial mileage benefit, no wonder it's over forty percent. Well, you know, I talked to one of the local Ford dealers here, and he says he can't keep them in stock. He says the people are literally buying them off the trailer. They just fly out the door. And so, you know, with gas at four bucks a gallon or plus. You know, if you need to sell trucks, I, people are clearly going for this EcoBoost engine. And what do they charge? It's like a couple of grand. I don't know if it's that much, but it's definitely a premium. It's a, like, definitely a premium. And Ford's raised prices, I think, three times this year already. So, I mean... And let's not forget, they're going to have their four-cylinder EcoBoost available in the Explorer. Right. And you drove it, and you said it was... I, I drove it in the Edge. In the Edge, and in the edge I, of the Explorer, yeah. And I haven't driven it in the Explorer yet, but uh, it, based on my uh, drive in the Edge, it'll be no problem in the Explorer. No. And that's the impressive thing that we've talked about before, is the, the low-end torque in that thing is, is awfully good. And the low-end torque in the pickup, so you know, we should see that go over 50%, don't right. you think? Right. You pulled out some other interesting things in the sales. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was thinking, you know, uh, I got to compare sales of the pony cars to the hybrids. And so just to lay the groundwork for what I found here is, as you know, there's three pony cars on the market, Camaro, Mustang, Challenger. There are now 30 different hybrids in the market, in the U.S. market. And, you know... There's compact cars, there's mid-size cars, there's full-size cars, there's co- hybrid pickups, there's hybrid crossovers, there's hybrid SUVs, there's cheap hybrids, there's luxury hybrids. I mean, you want a hybrid, you got a hybrid. Well, guess what? The three pony cars last month outsold all the hybrids put together. And this is what $4 a gallon gasoline Three muscle cars outsell all the hybrids. Now, part of that, too, is, of course, that with the problems in Japan, uh, availability availability of the Prius is down. And, I mean, you know, look, the Prius is half the hybrid market. So if it tanks, you know, the hybrid market isn't much to speak of. But even so, like I said, 30 hybrids versus three muscle cars, and the muscle cars win with four bucks a gallon. So what's, what's how many, uh, 
How many sales of of the muscle cars? It was. I mean, it's really close. It's like uh, nineteen thousand muscle cars versus eighteen thousand hybrids, more or less. I'd have to add it up but again. Still, you know. Right. I mean, uh, who'd have thought that? With the gas where it is, that the muscle cars trounce the hybrids. Yeah. And to me, it just, uh, you know, we've talked about, a lot about this. I, I don't think this bodes well for electric cars. Not automatically. I mean, if you have a government administration and the, and the political force field jamming it down people's throats, that's about the only way it's going to happen. You know, they need to step out and let people decide on their own, mm-hmm. which is something that Washington and Northern California politicians just cannot do. Right. They wake up every morning wanting to tell somebody what to do mm-hmm. for their own good. Mm-hmm. And that never really works. So, you know, the only way this electric thing is if if the government really makes it, you know, forces it on people. And, I, you know, I don't think that's why, what we signed up for when we decided to live here, actually. There's a, very interestingly, as you know, China's really pushing electric cars more heavily than any other country. And, uh, you know, there's a think tank in China that, that had two things, interestingly, that came out this week that really caught my eye. There's this company called Better Place that's talking about swapping batteries in electric cars. Yeah. So, and you know, you come into a gas station, they've got it all set up, so bing, bang, boom, you know, it takes you, I don't know, 10 minutes, and they pull out the old batteries, slap in the new batteries, and you're on your way. Well, this think tank said, you know, that may not be a good idea, because we're going to need three to five battery packs for every single electric car on the road to make sure everybody can pull in wherever they want and have a charged-up system. So it's just like you you sent the price of going electric skyrocketing if you're going to have to have all these battery packs stacked around. Not to mention how much of China's uh, electric power is generated by coal. By coal. And then the other thing they pointed out is China's been pushing electric cars. It's got all these subsidies, same with hybrids. What's going on with sales there is same as here. They're not selling all that well. And this think tank came out and said, which I thought very interesting from a Chinese communist government to say, look, the marketplace is telling you something. You're pushing all this stuff. You're throwing all these subsidies on it. People aren't buying. The market's trying to tell you something here. Yeah. What, wasn't there a safety thing about China? And Well, uh, BYD, I believe, has had a couple of fires in its electric cars, and that got a lot of media attention in China. So, again, uh, some of these uh, domestic Chinese companies are not as sophisticated as the other Chinese car companies who are working hand in glove with, you know, Japanese, U.S. and European car companies, and they're just, you know, these these almost fly by night Chinese companies are throwing electric cars out there that probably are not as well developed as they need to be. Yeah, shock. <laughs> I'm shocked by that. Another thing uh, about the car sales for May, I'm actually very encouraged by them. Uh, You know, there's a lot of stuff in the media. Oh, car sales are slowing down. Oh, what was us? And, you know, gasoline prices and the housing crisis and a loss of consumer confidence and blah, 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 blah. Well, I went through the numbers, and it doesn't bear that out at all. Uh, The Detroit Three were all up. The Europeans were up strong, like 30% strong. Uh, the Koreans, Hyundai, Kia, are off to the races. Oh, my God, did they have a great month. So the only drop-off in sales came from the Japanese, who we know have a, an inventory problem right now. Yeah, there's a jump ball for 200,000 units over the next three months that, mm-hmm. that they can't bring here. Right. But the point I'm making is that if you... Went back to a year ago, which was a much weaker market than it is today, and you just took the Japanese sales from a year ago and plugged them into May, we'd be right back to where we were in April. The SAR would be at $13 million, where it has been all year long. And so what I'm reading into that is, no, the, the fall-off in sales has nothing to do with gas prices or the housing crisis or a slowing economy or consumer confidence. It's strictly due to the fact of... 
the Japanese not having the inventory they need, which we know they're going to make up before the year is over. So I was actually extremely encouraged by the sales numbers. It tells me this market is still very strong. And, you know, I think once we get through this this 200,000-unit dip that you're talking about, things are going to look pretty good again. Yeah. What else can we talk about? I don't know. How about uh, the Nissan changes and... Oh, yeah. With Carlos Ghosn's new right-hand guy. and Yeah, uh, Carlos Tavares. Who was over here. Right. But basically, it was interesting because Carlos Ghosn seemed to have been taken to the woodshed. Well, he was. The- and and he's, and the, the government's telling him you need to develop more larger luxury cars. And, you know, they're starting to get into product planning now. Right. Which is never Disaster. good. Disaster. I mean, because Renault has never been able to, to do the big luxury thing. But Carlos is, you know, going along with it. And he said he's going to focus more on Renault now. And right. Spend more time in France. and uh, Which yeah. is tough to take. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but yeah, but uh, it's not gone. To so your well. point, you know, when the government comes in and starts telling, you know, it was one thing for the U.S. government to come in and dictate the terms of the bankruptcies for GM and Chrysler, but they've pretty much stayed out of it since then. But for the French government to come in and tell Carlos Ghosn, hey, we want you to start doing more luxury cars. We want you to start spending more time in France, and you know, here's our laundry list of to-dos. Yeah, it's it, not. I good. don't think it's good. And uh, Chevrolet stepped up and is going to sponsor the Dream Cruise for three years. That's great. Yeah. That's really good. Hey, speaking of GM, I heard today a uh, big shakeup in their product development uh, area. And I called GM to say, hey, you know, word on the street is there's stuff going on. And they never called me back. Yeah, there's something going on. There's churning going on. Right. So I, well, maybe we'll know more tomorrow. But... Uh, they're not talking right now. Well, hey, why don't we take another commercial break right now, and then we'll bring our guest on. And uh, it's time for us to really give a good shout-out of thanks to our great sponsor, Hyundai. Hyundai is known for the great value that it offers, but let's not forget about the technology. The Hyundai Sonata is the first vehicle in its segment with standard integrated Bluetooth hands-free phone It's the first vehicle in its segment with factory-installed HD radio technology with multicasting. And it's the first vehicle in its segment with XM nav traffic and XM data services. That, plus NHTSA's five-star overall crash test rating and the IIHS top safety pick, explain why the Sonata is selling so well. And you can check it all out at HyundaiSonata.com. Well, now we're being joined by Tim Kolbeck, the COO for Saab USA. It's great having you here with us on uh, AutoLine After Hours. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Hey, Peter. I enjoyed uh, your conversation. I was just saying to John how it's like it's like being in the living room. You just sit here yeah. and you kind of get into it. And I almost I almost joined in a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great format. Yeah. You know, it's uh, unlike uh, the broadcast television program we do where there's time constraints and pressure and, you know, hammer. This is just a, a much better way of sitting down and talking to people and learning about what's going on in the business. Right, right. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're, you're new to Saab, right? You've been there for, what, a couple of months? Yeah, just under a month, actually. Less than a two yeah, months. Yeah, I, I come to Saab. I was with Subaru uh, for 25 years before, uh, before joining Saab. I, I, my last position with Subaru was uh, uh, Senior Vice President of Sales. So I headed up their sales operation. And, uh, well, you guys did a cracker yeah, job. Yeah. I keep talking about I'm blown away by Subaru. I, I'm just amazed at how this little sort of boutique company has largely been under the radar and just doing a terrific job. Yeah, it's interesting. When, it, when I joined that company 25 years ago, uh, they would say, this is the best kept secret in the industry. And it took about 20 years till we started telling the secret. In the last five years, I think, uh, we're very successful for the brand. And, uh, and, and that success is, is actually kind of what attracted me over to Saab. It was too easy at Subaru. You well, needed a challenge, right? Well, yeah, we had gotten the brand to a spot where, where it was really now tra- time to maintain it for, for growth. And, and 
when I when I heard about the Saab opportunity, I, I saw an opportunity, an iconic brand, uh, great products with a good portfolio coming, loyal customers, a lot of the ingredients that Subaru had before they they figured out uh, how to be successful, and 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 it looked like just such a challenge. It's an entrepreneurial company. Uh, and, and that was the one thing I always thought is I worked at Subaru. I, I didn't think I'd go to work for another car company. Uh, if I ever left Subaru, it would be to go to work for, for an entrepreneurial company. And then you get a call from an entrepreneurial car company, and you're like, oh, wow, this, this, uh, you know, this is right in the sweet spot. So that, that was the attraction really coming over. I think the brands share a lot in spirit. Uh, their, their, owner, uh, their owner bases are very similar uh, in terms of mindset. Uh, but I, I think that in, in the Saab case, uh, you, you've got an even more independent thinking owner, and you have a more independent thinking brand. So that's, that's really the challenge. And, and I, I think uh, it's said best that, that Saab getting back to being Saab is, is what's going to make Saab successful in the future. Um, so, so to me, it, it was the challenge of taking a great brand really back to where it deserves to be that, that, that attracted me here. So the Chinese investment money just allows you to get rolling again and get back on your plan, basically, after the temporary shutdown. Right, yeah. We, we, we were shut down in Sweden. We were still producing the 94X in, in, in Mexico. And then this investment from Pangda, which is... Uh, it's kind of an interesting company. It's the equivalent of maybe uh, an auto nation. It's it's actually the biggest. It's not a car company. It's a, it's a distributor. It's a distributor and dealer network. 475,000 sales last year. So it is the biggest network in, in the world. Uh, and part of the investment that they've made uh, is is a is to invest in cars for distribution in China. So so that money helped us to to get things rolling again. Uh, in Sweden, which is great. So now, so now we've got both going, and and, uh, and you know, each each day, I think the news gets more positive. There, there was that that time frame in the, in the middle middle of last month where. Uh, there was a lot of speculation in the press, and it's good that that's, that's kind of died. Hey, I'm one of those speculators. I, I'm still not convinced you guys can pull this through. I mean, I think you took an enormous risk coming to Saab. W- what do you see there? I mean, you talked about you know, the mindset and that sort right. of thing, but I'm seeing a plant that closed down because suppliers wouldn't ship, right. a company that's uh, got some good products there, some stuff in the pipeline, but as you know in this business, if you're not throwing a billion dollars into your product development budget every year, you're falling way behind. Right. Yeah, and there, there's, there's a good product pipeline, and, and uh, I, I think you've, you've seen, you, you've had Victor on the show, right? And, oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. and he's talked to you about the, the development that they've got going for the short term, which is uh, we've got the, the 94X coming out right now, uh, which is a great product. I mean, if, if you've have you had the chance to drive it, I'm, I'm, no. we'll, we'll bring one over. You, so you've, that's, you've, you've got, you've, you've that's got, on the SRX uh, shared platform? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that that platform was developed really as a Saab in yeah, Sweden. I remember that. And then customized to be a Cadillac. So it's, it's really the, the, the final step of the metamorphosis that was happening with GM as they were dialing the Saabness back in. I think they understood that they had to get Saab back to being Saab as well before, uh, before they ended up uh, selling the brand. Uh, so that car really has what it takes to be a Saab. And it's hitting in the in really the fastest growing segment in the industry right. uh, at a time that that is is good with with gas prices high. It's a good segment to be in. So, you know, so we've got that product coming. Then we have the the nine five combi coming right after that. We have a nine three uh, minor refresh in in advance of a major redesign of the nine three coming. Uh, t- uh, starting production at the end of next year. So, I mean, that, that short term product cycle uh, is very strong. And, and then. Yeah, we'll need to secure additional investment to to round out uh, any additional model extensions we want to do. But but I come from a brand in Subaru that that was very successful with a very limited model lineup. It's you know you don't have to in in the in the segments that we're competing, you don't have to have an entry in every segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to have successful en- entries in the segments you compete, <laughs> and that's where we need to improve. Right? We we need to make sure that our our cars are are really winners in, in the segments that they compete. And, and that's why I'm very 
very uh, optimistic on this knife four. Now I know the fire, the factory fired up last Friday and right. started building cars again. Is it still building it's them right still now? Still building them, yes. It's okay. Still building. And, and I, I, do, I saw no follow-up reports on that, and I thought, was this a one-shot deal or what? No, no. They, they produced them Friday, and they kept producing them Monday, which good. is good. That's good to hear. And uh, the other kind of uh, neat piece of news is around 5:30 our time today. The first 94Xs were shipped uh, out of Ramos, Mexico, where they're produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll, they'll hit dealerships uh, before the end of the month. So, okay, you made a really good point about in Subaru, you had a very limited lineup. All you got to do is sell is what you got. Right, right. How do you do that now? How, how do you get this brand get up and going and get people starting shopping for Sobs right now? Well, there's a couple of layers uh, that we've, we've got to really accomplish. One is we've got to build more confidence in the public. I mean, you're, you're, you're an industry person. You see what's going on inside. But, but with the news, there, there's been other uh, news reports. People outside the industry are hearing about Saab. Our dealers hear about Saab. We have to build the confidence back. And, and really, uh, the way to do that is to continue to do things to show uh, that we are going to be a successful car company, continue to, to launch new models, continue to, to, uh, to market to our owners in a way that is very Saab-like. Uh, and, and that's probably the, the next level is once, once we instill that confidence in, in, is, is being ourselves. I mean, that, that is the key to being a successful brand is being ourselves and not trying to be something that we're not. And connecting to our owners and our potential owners in ways that are uh, ways that they communicate. Basically, so it doesn't mean going out and doing a mass market campaign. It means being smart and being very tactical, and and, and being connecting with our owners where they live, and and, and to me, those steps are, are critical in, in building the brand back to what it should be. Uh, you know, an interesting thing since I've started with Saab, it's been just under a month, right? Uh, and everyone you run into, oh, you're with Saab now. What a great brand! And then it's like, gosh, you know, what do they sell now? I mean, everybody has a fond memory of Saab, but they don't have a current thought of Saab. And so, what we, you know, we've got a, a, an awareness issue, but it's a different kind of an awareness issue. It's, it's what is Saab today. Uh, it's not what is Saab. People have heard of Saab. It's what is Saab today. And, and really, our goal is to make the Saab today uh, better than the Saab they remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's, you know, it's a challenge. It's a big challenge. But it's, it's a combination of the products. It's a combination of, of how we communicate and, and, our, and our dealer network and, and how, what our customer experience is like. Those three things are the key. Well, that's what I got to think is, uh, you know, one of the other worries for the company is the dealer base. Because it's one thing for Saab to go out and raise money in China or with other investors and the like. How do your dealers get through this period? Right, and, and we've got a very loyal group of dealers. I mean, we, we're, we're just uh, just about 200 dealers, uh, and throughout this period, it's been a rough period for them with the sale and, and the startup and, and, and all the things that come with being a startup. Uh, we really haven't lost very many dealers. Uh, so, Are they all dueled with other brands? Is that uh, what's no, getting them through? Not all of them. Uh, we, we've got a, a chunk that were uh, about 97 that were GM uh, Cadillac Saab. Uh, duels. And then we've got uh, a fair amount of independent uh, Saab dealers and, and then some more, more, uh, more general duels. But, but, but all in all, very, very loyal group. They've stuck with us. They, they, they want us to be successful, and obviously we want them to be successful. And, and uh, you know, we, we have a dealer meeting coming up uh, in a couple of weeks in, in Denver. We're bringing all the dealers together, and, and we're going to talk about how to partner to, to really accomplish the vision we all have for Saab. So I, I imagine then you're, you're taking a lot of the lessons learned at Subaru and applying them to what you're doing now at Saab, or is it that much different? Well, there, there are a lot of similarities and there are a lot of differences. I, I think the principles that, that I learned at Subaru uh, can apply to Saab. Maybe not you know, the, the execution of all, all the different ideas, but the, the main principle of, of being yourself, of, of not trying to... Uh, of recognizing things that really don't fit the brand, uh, and and being laser focused on what it is to be Saab, uh-huh. and, and what makes a Saab a Saab, is really those are the things that will make us successful. And, and you know, people say, well, are you going to market to your owners? And and in a way, I'd say yes. You know, the former owner base, but but really. Not, not so much to attract them back. We want them back, but they're very loyal as well. We, we think we can get those back. But there's a lot of people like them, 
And, and when you do things that are interesting to the people who like your brand and you do them well, more people start coming in. And, and I think, I think that, that was one of the keys that I learned at, at Subaru. One, you know, you've got to have great products. You've got to have products that, that meet the market where the market wants them. Uh, two, you've got to have a, a great dealer network and a good customer experience. But three, you've got to communicate who you are in a way that people want to do business with you. You've got to be a company that people want to do business with. So what's the lineup in the next 18 months? Well, it, it, it's going to be the freshest lineup we've ever had because, you know, we, we launched a 9.5 last year. Right. Uh, the 9.4X comes out today, begins shipping. Uh, then we have the 9.5 uh, Sport Combi uh, coming at the end of summer, early fall. This is basically a wagon version of the w- Wagon version of the 9.5. And then we have a, a refresh to, to the 9.3, but then end of next year production starts. Probably beginning of, of the following year we receive uh, the 9.3, the new 9.3. And at that point in time, you've got a new 9.3, you've got your 9.5, you've got your, your Combi, your 9.4X. It's all new from, from basically where it was, say, say a year ago. So that's over the next two years. Right. Saab has always uh, been marketed as uh, a brand for quirky people. I mean, they even had the tagline at one point, find your own way, and it was always sort of a little bit out there. And I always felt that's why the brand never worked. There's just not enough quirky people to go around. Except Subaru was there. Yeah, well, quirky was an adjective also used for for Subaru, and... and, uh, and Quirky is probably the negative side of, of interesting, right? Uh-huh. Interesting and, and uh, engaged. And, and that's the one thing also fascinating to me as I looked at the customer profile uh, of, of Saab after I joined and, and, and what they said. Very similar in, in mindset. There are people who are engaged in life, people who rather collect experiences than collect things. Uh, those types of, of people are the people that are attracted to Saab. So, yeah, they've been, they've been labeled quirky because they're different. And, and I think part of our mission is to make the quirky not so quirky, to make it interesting, mm-hmm. right? I mean, th- these are interesting people. These are people that, that lead interesting lives and do interesting things. And, 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 and in a way, that's very aspirational. And I'd, I'd say today independent thinking is becoming more and more uh, the norm versus, you know, the abnorm. And, and that's, the, that's really what we've got to tap into. So is that what you're looking at, is a, a new marketing message? Uh, you're working with the dealers, as you said. You've got this, this fresh product line you're going to have. You know, how do you crack the code here to, to really get the sales going? You know, it, it's, it's not going to be any one thing. It's going to be a combination of doing a lot of things right. And, and that's the challenge that all car companies have, is finding the right things, that, that combination of things that work for, for your brand. And, and for us, you know, the, the fundamentals are the same for every brand. It's, it's your product. It's, it's your dealers. It's your brand messaging. It's, it's, it's your customer base. And, you know, for us, we, we've got to really understand exactly uh, who we are. And, and I think that impacts how you design your products. That impacts how you design your marketing. That impacts your, your dealership setup and, and your dealership experience. And, and, and so I would say the number one uh, the number one priority for us is focus. Mm-hmm. It's really focus and, and consistency. Uh, so I don't think it's, it's reinventing Saab or, or finding a new way of, of, of talking about Saab. I think it's understanding Saab and, and communicating that in a way that, that everybody can, can latch on to. You know, it's what's been interesting as well in, in my, my, my first month here is asking people, you know, what is Saab? You know, ask engineers from Sweden or ask people in the, in the company. And everybody's got a very clear picture. And, and it's fairly consistent. Which but, is what? Well, it, it, a lot of times people come from the brand pillars. I mean, it's, it's, it, they're products with great Scandinavian design with lots of function. There's real-world performance and safety, uh, design with the driver in mind uh, type of thing. So those are three of the product pillars that, that, that make up Saab. Um, but, but asking the, the, the head of their product engineering, Peter, I said, hey, Peter, what's the essence of Saab? And the other engineers had, had chimed in these components. He goes, you know, the essence of Saab is that Saab cares about the driver. 
Everything we do as a driver in mind is designed with the care of the driver in mind. And to me, that's, that's a bit of the essence of Saab. It's that and kind of an independence, uh, a feeling of, of thinking that we don't have to do what everybody else is doing. We have to do what we believe is right for, for our drivers. Yeah, I think your biggest challenge is getting on the radar screens again. Yeah. I mean, the visibility of Saab is, is almost non-existent, and that's a huge challenge. Yeah. You can't just do it with social media. You know, you have to pick and choose some some big-ticket events. You've got to get Saab back in the fray a little bit. It can't be on the fringe the way you're talking. You can't stay right. on the fringe. You're going to have to pick and choose something to latch on to. That right. becomes Saab's signature, I think. But it's, it's going to have to be meaningful to Saab and, 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 yeah. and oh, authentic. Yeah. I mean, that, the, the other thing about a brand is you can you can get involved in something that isn't authentic to your brand, and it's going to be a waste of money. Yeah. You know, we've got to be involved in things that are authentic to us. So it, that it, that is a challenge. I mean, you know, the other the other interesting thing I see with this brand is. Uh, who wants to partner with the brand? I mean, we've got, I don't know if you've read about our icon system, no, which is going to be the first uh, Android-based uh, infotainment system in a, in a car, and that's slated to come on the 9.3, uh, but it's a Google partnership. Um, you know, we've got a, a, a engine sharing agreement with BMW. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've got the uh, Hirsch performance uh, system. You know, we've got these great high-profile uh, partners, and again, when you when you talk to people, they talk about what a great brand Saab is. Um, but a lot of times they're thinking what a great brand Saab was. And, and our job is, you're exactly right, to get back on the radar screen. We've yeah, got a little my, bit. Give them a reason to believe. Right, and a reason to believe. We've got a little bit of an advantage from someone coming out of nowhere because people have a, a image of Saab and. And honestly, they have a warm image of Saab, but just not where Saab is today. Right. And, and that's why you're exactly right. We've got to remind everyone uh, who we are and, and where we're going. Not where we were, but where we're going. Yeah, and why you do things the way you do and, and right. where you're headed. And that's a tall order. Yeah. How many dealers do you have in the U.S.? Uh, 199 right now. Oh, that's quite a bit. Yeah. Do you need more, do you think, to get your sales where you want them to be? No, I, I don't think so. I, I, you know, I'm not sure that, that they're all in the right places, but, but dealer count-wise, I mean, we, we don't have uh, overly ambitious volume goals. Uh, you know, I, I know Victor was on here talking about the lower break-evens, and, and, uh, and really, I, I think with the dealer network we have, we have to be uh, sure that they get the throughput they need to be profitable and get a return on investment. So we, we would, at this point in time, uh, we wouldn't be adding dealers, mm-hmm. uh, but we'd be rationalizing markets and making sure we had the right number in the right markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 199, that's more than I thought. Man, imagine if uh, even if each one could just sell 500 cars a year, you, you guys yeah. would be golden yeah, here. We, we'd be... Uh, We'd be at our numbers plus, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly right. Hey, it's it's that part of the uh, time of the show where, uh, oh, actually, we've got to do, we've got to think one more of our sponsors before we get to rapid fire. And right now we have to thank our friends at Chevrolet. Not only does the Chevrolet Cruze offer a ton of features, it features some of the best safety and maintenance in the business. The cruise comes with rear park assist, which beeps if you're about to back into something. It has rollover mitigation, which means the car senses if it might roll over, and applies the brakes to the outside front tire to bring the car back under control. And it has OnStar vehicle diagnostics, which sends you emails about the latest status of your car. And you can learn a lot more about it at Chevrolet.com slash cruise. Well, this is great. It's uh Time to get to the great part of the show where we bring in all the questions from our, our audience. Ben, let's get to rapid fire. Uh, well, you know, this is, we call it rapid fire because the, the theory was to get everybody to answer a lot of questions real quickly. doesn't always work out that way. Let's, do, let's try it really rapid. <laughs> okay. Well, here's a comment more than a question. Unsprung says, Saab should build a car that gets 75 miles per gallon, does 0 to 60 in 5 seconds, and carries 5 people comfortably. And cost, oh, it got cut off, but it doesn't matter. You yeah. know what be under 10000 yeah. probably. Yeah, okay, <laughs> <Right>. next. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Uh, 
Let's see, Wright Knight says, I'd like to see a 9.5 with a rear-wheel biased all-wheel drive system and over 450 horsepower, twin-turbo DI V6. Okay, Jerry That'll Seinfeld. That'll be my demo. Yeah, yep. <laughs> right. Okay, here we're getting to a question from Rumble Strip. Tim, you say you want to categorize Saab owners as, quote-unquote, interesting. Does this mean you're going to use the most interesting man in the world for your new advertisement? <laughs> yes, that is said with sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> sarcasm well taken. But but I, I would like to clarify the interesting as kind of an, an independent thinking, engaged in life person. See, that's yeah. way better than quirky. Yeah, that's way better, way better than better quirky. quirky. VRM Chris says, uh, question for the panel. How much do you believe Saab needs for proper development of new product and for the company? He says, I believe $2 billion per year for the next 10 years. Well, that's way more money than yeah. Saab needs to spend. Yeah. Way more money. Just to give you a, uh, an example, I, I'm going to say, uh, and I wish I had the, the actual numbers at my fingertips, Ford Motor Company probably spends $6 billion a year on product development. You know, just and, and Ford sells, what, 6 million vehicles. You know, Saab right. would love to get back to 100,000 units. <laughs> they would love to have that. So they don't need to spend $2 billion a year. Of course, he doesn't say dollars. Maybe it's kroner or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> uh, comment from Speedy. He says, Saabs have always been a little bit quirky. How will you make them quirky again? Well, like I was saying earlier, I don't think the goal is to make them quirky. I, I think it's to recapture some of the, some of the uh, connection that the brand had. Uh, and, and there was some quirkiness, but that quirkiness, like I said, is, is more uh, different. It's more interesting than it is strange. Needless yeah. to say, we won't be hearing the word quirky in it. Yes, that, that, that's right. Well, I wouldn't rule it out, but right. I don't think so. <laughs> 007 Mitch W. says, when are we going to see a small sob again, like in the 80s? That's I think you really got to go back to the 40s for yeah, a really yeah, small size. Really small size. But it's on our radar screen. I, I think if we were to extend the line, I talked about we have a pretty focused line. If we were to extend the line, I think we'd all like to go to the to the smaller end versus any other direction. Yeah. And it's it's something that they're they're so working on. I think on. the nine yeah. five is as big as you can go. Yeah, I really do. Jump a topic somewhat. Question for Peter from Goggles Pisano. Will Chevrolet or Lotus be able to challenge Honda for wins when they come into the Indy Racing League next year? Uh, well, Lotus is going with Judd. Let's say just announced it's not going to be Cosworth. And, I, yes, I believe the answer is especially <laughs> Chevrolet. They're going to be right there. Another question for Peter. Uh, could you share what it's like to go 100 miles an hour through a crowd of 100,000 at Indy? Actually, it's more like a crowd of 300,000 yeah, at Indy, it, right? Well, I won't. Uh, it was spectacular. You go to the website in the, my fumes column, and I have a, an additional editor, editor's comment about that specific uh, Episode. It was fabulous. There's nothing. There's just nothing like it. Uh, Three hundred twenty-five thousand people drown out the racing engines. That's amazing. I, that's just, awesome. Yeah, that's just a once in a lifetime thing. And another one for you from Mine VW. He says, with the news that the BMW 5 Series GT is not selling as well as BMW hoped, are you at all surprised? No. I, <laughs> he says he's not either. <laughs> no, I, I was uh, pretty negative on that from the beginning. And I mean, and I even talked to some dealers, and they're, they're just worth shaking their heads. It's just not, you know, BMW thought it was going to replace the, the nice, beautiful 5 Series wagon. And, and the BMW loyal, loyalists just... When there was no wagon available, they went and bought Mercedes or Audis. They didn't no, look no. at the 5 GT, so no, it's not surprising at all. Uh, I've got the sales numbers here from Wards. Um, mm, it must not be classified as a truck. Let me just check the, the sales figures here really quick. It's a crossover. Um, ma, 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 ma. Huh. It's not broken out. It must be just packed in with the 5 Series or something like yeah. that. So I don't know what the sales are on that. Hey, Ben, I see we've got a, a bunch of phone calls coming in. Let's get to the first one. Uh, Dan Smith, uh, Durham, North Carolina. I have a question for the, um, the auto extremist. Um, Peter, what do you think of the new BMW 1M Coupe? Uh, it looks like they've gone right to the top there. It's, it's more like a 2002 TII um, for 2012. 
Thanks a lot. I, I love the 1M coupe, um, but the availability in the U.S., I, I know one of the main dealers in the country personally, and they said they were getting one wow. by the end of the year. Yow. So I think it's a great car, and I, I think it is in the spirit of it goes back, but um, they were purposely going to keep them very low availability, which I'm not so sure is a good thing. Hmm. Uh, Glenn E. wants to know, he heard me talking about muscle cars versus hybrids, and he asks, do the muscle car sales include rental fleets? He goes on to say, I saw a Hertz ad on TV showing a Challenger. And, yeah, that would include fleet sales, but I'll bet you when you get to Camaro, Mustang, and Challenger, they're in a whole lot of fleet in there. I doubt that very much. Ben, let's get to another phone call here. Hello, this is Bob Longmate from West Babylon, New York. Just had a question uh, and your thought in reference to pricing on the new uh, Focus Electric upcoming. Um, obviously, considering that it'll be the first electric that'll be manufactured on a common uh, assembly line, all uh, powertrain iterations. Just a question if you had any idea as to how much money. That will save the consumer. Thank you. Love the show. I don't think it's going to save the consumer much. Yeah. I think they're going to have to charge all the money for that Focus Electric. Sure. I mean, uh, I would expect it to be priced right on the Nissan Leaf, you know, and what's that, around 33000 30, 35000 yeah. no, no, after the After credit, I think, it, 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 I think it's upper 30s. Uh, no, I think that, that that's before the credit. Okay. Um, in fact... Nissan was showing how if you bought the car in California and worked for the right company that also kicked in money, that you could get it down to like $20,000. But I I think it's like uh, 33 to 35, somewhere in that area, and I would expect the Focus Electric to be priced right on top of that. It's hard to get around the battery cost. I mean, i got to believe the battery pack in the Focus, like the Leaf, is going to be about a $15,000 cost to the manufacturer. That doesn't include any markups. So that's where I would expect it to be. Um, Ben, let's bring in another phone call. What do you guys think of William James' uh, criticism of automotive journalism? William Jean's criticism of automotive journalism. Oh, he wrote a piece in that auto writer's newsletter, mm-hmm. the same piece that named me the father of the, <laughs> the Internet thing. Right. Uh, you know, I thought it, William made some good points about it, mm-hmm. but we'd have to revisit that in depth. We probably yeah. can't do it tonight. Yeah, probably not now to do it. Um, let's see. We've got a comment from Rumblestrip who says uh, Fiat's two-cylinder engine is about low CO2, not fuel economy, and I would bet the same for Ford's one-liter three-banger. Yes and no. I I know where he's coming from on that, but remember, the quickest way to uh, reduce CO2 is burn less gas, ergo, get better fuel economy. So I think the two go hand in glove. But he's right. I mean, Fiat really is... Uh, selling, or I should say marketing, the CO2 output, which is it's like 95 grams per 100 kilometers in that engine. You know, it beats about just all the diesels that, that are out there. And that's important in Europe. Ben, let's bring in another phone call. Yeah, John, this is Rick from San Diego. You know, the sales, uh, a couple interesting things, too. Uh, Ram sales were up quite well, and as it were, Jeep. Mm-hmm. And GM, the GMC was the only brand that actually increased sales with the existing lineup, although Buick with the Regal did very well, or pretty good. And uh, it, to your point that you were trying to make before, it seems like the you know, the Jeeps and the heavy trucks and the, did well, and in a high gas price market, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, any comments? Thanks. Well, there's a lot of replacement going on. You know, pent up demand. Uh-huh. People need replacement vehicles for vehicles they have, and I think they can't sit on the sidelines anymore. Right. You know, they have to get get vehicles. So. And I, I don't want to, you know, be too much of a contrarian all the time here, but very interesting. I, I've I've got Ward sales by segment numbers up here. Small cars in May. We're up 12.2%. SUV sales were up 12.7%. The smaller SUVs. Smaller SUVs is where the real strength came, right? The big SUVs did take it on the chin. But I think it's an interesting point 
that SUVs as a group were up more than small cars were. Yeah. So it's it's a funny market, and, and Rick made a, gr- a good point. You know, Ram and Jeep had a terrific month. On the pass car side, Chrysler did not do well. Uh, the three, the new 300, which I think is a terrific car, sales dropped. Yeah. So we shall see. I think we got through all the Saab ones and all the Peter ones. So, yeah, let's go home. <laughs> there are a couple uh, Saab comments. Um, Rumble Strip asks if there's any hope that the 9T concept will ever make it into production. Well, we talked a little bit yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, that, That's definitely on the radar screen. Can always hope. Yeah, as the, as the model extension. They got a lot to do yeah. before they start getting yeah. the wish list stuff. Yeah, and you've yeah got, you're right. We, we've, got to, we've got to tackle the, the, the foundation here and get it strong. And, and, yeah, but, and then you start talking about wish list stuff. Well, if you sell what you got, and you'll be able to do that car then. You're right, you're right. And, and we, th- we think we've got what it takes to, to get us to that level. I mean, we, we think we've got enough entries and enough segments to be to be successful car company and, and then to drive the future investment for, for extensions. Well, you know, I really want to see it work. I've, I'm a big skeptic. I, I want you guys to prove me wrong right. because uh, even though I, I'm calling it like I see it, I really want to see Saab survive. I really want to see this thing happen. You know, that's that's probably the, the most interesting thing. Everybody seems to be pulling for Saab. And, well, everyone thinks I'm nuts for going there, so so you're not alone. But they, they also are pulling for Saab. And, and honestly, when you see the people, the team that's assembled, I mean, you, you know, Victor's got Matthias Seidel from Audi and VW. He, he's got Jason Castriata as a designer. You know, we've just picked up Jim Sweeting from Honda, myself from Subaru. Uh, we've got Dave Rooney from Chrysler. And then we've got the Saab people who have been there since before GM. And then we have some GM people. We've got a melting pot of people who all are, are, are working to, to get this car company back to where it needs to be and, and should be. So, you know, we, we, we're all confident. So Cool. Well, thanks for coming on and bringing us this update. It's really good to hear it. Okay. Yes. It's great to come on. It, yes, it's thank a, you. It's a great format. I really, I really like the show. We wish you the best. Yeah. Thanks. Peter, good seeing you, too. Good seeing you, John. And, and uh, God, I'm so jealous of what you went through at Indy. That is so cool. Yeah, that was, uh, it was a treat. Hey, before we go, I want to remind everybody, uh, and I think tomorrow is the first day. Every Friday this month, we're handing out an autographed copy of Bob Lutz's new book, and you can enter a contest to win it. All you got to do is contact your local public television station and tell them you want AutoLine Detroit. You want them to carry it. And if they already do carry it, just send them an email thanking them for carrying it. And that's how you enter this contest. All the details are at bit.ly slash contest. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash contest. You go there, it tells you how to enter. From everyone that does, we're going to pull a name at random, and you can get uh, a copy of Bob Lutz's book, which I don't think is out yet. Definitely. And, in fact, these are pre-release copies that Bob signed for us when he was in the studio here. So you can get it there. And don't forget, uh, while you're at it, you can always uh, friend us at Facebook.com slash Detroit. Uh, follow us at Twitter.com slash Go to Peter's website, AutoExtremist.com. You can follow him at Twitter.com slash AutoExtremist. And you for Saab, there you go. No Twitter account? Yeah, our Twitter account is Saab USA. Saab USA. Uh-huh. Okay. And we're on Facebook. Okay, cool. <laughs> Just wanted to get that all in. Uh, Don't forget, you can also get us on your BlackBerry or smartphone via Stitcher. But most of all, thanks, folks, for having tuned in. Visit our website, AutolineDetroit.tv, where you can watch us live Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern, get your daily automotive news fix with AutoLine Daily, and in-depth analysis and interviews with AutoLine Detroit. That's all there and much more at AutolineDetroit.tv. Auto Line After Hours is brought to you by Bridgestone, passion for excellence. Chevrolet, the all-new Chevrolet Cruze. Get used to more. And by Hyundai. Experience the 2011 Hyundai Sonata today at HyundaiSonata.com.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.